Well, good morning, Shepherd's Gate. Good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you. For those of you who are looking in online, live streaming, we say good morning to you too, and thank you for uh, looking in on us. Uh, first things first, this morning's folks, uh, if you join with me in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we do indeed come to you this morning, thanking you and praising you and praying and ask that by your Holy Spirit that you'd open our hearts and our minds to all that you have to say to us today, that we may grab a hold of the message that you have for each of us individually, that the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts would be acceptable to you. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I invite you to open your chair Bibles in front of you. There's a chair Bible. You can open that to page 1011. If you have a Bible on your phone, a Bible app, you can... More than uh, welcome to get that out and open up uh, to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. It's going to be our focus this morning. It's going to be our focus this morning. And uh, during the week, Pastor Crawl and I were kind of talking about this a little bit, and it turns out that Pastor Tim gave us both the same text <laughs> for two weeks in a row. So Pastor Crawl said, please leave me some meat on the bone. And I said, no. <laughs> I'm going to take every piece of meat that I can. You're on your own. <laughs> we continue with our message series, Value Everyone. It's an 11-week series. We invite you to go online. You can catch up past weeks. Two weeks ago on February 4th, we had Value Everyone, Young and Old. We celebrated our 38th uh, birthday. Shepherd's Gate did last week. Value Everyone with a very powerful message. <laughs> on special needs. And so today we continue, and we continue that everybody has value, and that you and I, you and I who make up the church, that we are called to go out and express our faith, go out and express our faith by living lives in service to others, to value everyone, especially to those who are in need. This past week, um, I've been asked the question, why? A couple of times, more than once. Why? Why would God allow this to happen? Why would God allow that to happen? If God is such a loving God, why do these things happen? In more than just one situation. And as the story came out of Parkland, Florida this year, we were once again reminded that we live in a broken world. That's why Christ came into the world, because it was broken. He came into the world to save it. And then he gave us, the church, the gospel, to go out to proclaim that good news to the world be of service to others. As the stories came out of Parkland, Florida uh, this past week, and people are asking why, where was God? There were hundreds of images that were out there on the internet and on TV, and I was watching the stories. And God was there. He was in the medical personnel. He was in the police officers. He was in everybody that was there helping. They didn't even need to be a Christian to be used by God. But there was one image that for some reason, for some reason, this one image that I saw, this one here, this one grabbed me. It grabbed me for this reason. Now, you might be going like, okay, who's comforting who here? But you have to know that there's another picture of this woman uh, who uh, is holding another woman while she's kneeling on the ground holding another woman. She was clearly out there to give hope. And she's clearly a Christian. She'd been to church earlier that day to confess her faith in Christ, receive the ashes on her forehead, and for me, anyway, she became a symbol, a, a visual image of Christ at work. 
of the church at work in the world, valuing everyone, being of help to people, just being there, letting them know that they are valued by God, that they are much loved. And that's what you and I are called to do, to go out into the world, that we are not just to be hearers of the gospel, but we are also to be doers by valuing everyone. And that's what James is getting through to us this morning. In James chapter 1, first we see in, in verses 19 and 21 that we are empowered to live in Jesus. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. One of the deepest things, one of the deepest needs that you and I have as human beings, one of the deepest needs that we have as creations of God is to be loved. We all want to be first. We all want to be needed. We all want to be loved. We all want to know that we have value in this world. And it's in Jesus Christ that you and I have that ultimate value and love found. It's in the cross in the cross of Jesus that we see just how deeply valued and loved we are as individuals. That God the Father in his mercy would come and he would find us that we, when we were, yes, lost and we didn't even know it, that he would come and he would find us, that he'd call us by the good news, by the gospel, that he would bring us to faith and that he would reestablish a good relationship between us and God the Father so that you and I may live forever with him. And James encourages us here in these opening verses, he encourages us to hear the gospel, to take it to heart, to take comfort in its message, to know that Jesus loves you and has called you to himself. But while that's all great, that's good news, we are now empowered to live a life in him, but James also goes on to tell us that we are to be doers of the word. Not just hearers. Be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Have you ever done that? Looked in the mirror? And in the very split second you look away, you forget what you look like. <laughs> that's what James is saying. He says, you know, that's what we do so a lot of times. So we look into the perfect law, the law being the word, the word of God, the gospel. And then we turn away from it. We close the Bible. We forget. We do love our Bibles. We do love our Bibles. And we should, at least what's written in them. We love to hear from Jesus and find comfort and hope that comes from the gospel. We love to take comfort from it. We love to be here in worship. We love to hear from Jesus. We love to sing songs and to praise God. And we love to leave here every Sunday being encouraged and built up in the faith. But then do we actually go out and live it? Or do we, like the person in the mirror, turn away from it and forget about it? But we are called to be of service to those who are in deep need of help those who the world ignores. And James points that out to us, that we are to be doers, not just hearers. And that we are to value everyone, 
He drives that point home in verses 26 and 27. For if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. We need to know and understand that in James, the word religion, what James is meaning here, religion, are those things that we do on account of our faith. He's talking about action, our works. Our actions are an outward expression of faith, and so our religion, our faith is this, to value everyone, to bring God's love to all people. And as I said, especially those who the world ignores. That's the main point that James is making, is to value everyone, to love all people. But what he does is he singles out widows and orphans. He's singling out widows and orphans, and that's what our focus is going to be today, is widows. And as I said earlier, Pastor John Crawl is going to be looking at orphans uh, next week. So we value everyone, and our focus is widows. But why is James doing it? Why, by the way, as we go through this message today, we do not want to ignore widowers. We do not want to ignore the men who have lost a spouse. Because they go through the same things that a woman does, a widower. And so this message today is really for both. While James is focusing on widows, He's doing that for a reason. Because you see, in Jesus' day, and in the days of the early church, and maybe even in some respects today, widows were not at the upper end of the social order. And they faced many challenges in their daily life. And so that's why James is focusing on them in his letter to us, because they really needed to have the focus on them. Because you see, Jesus and the early church and the widows, they had this relationship. Jesus, in his days, again, widows stood at the bottom of Israel's social ladder. They were disenfranchised from society now that the husband was not around. And because of that, they received much love and much attention from Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke... In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 20, verses 45 through 47, Jesus is calling out the scribes, the religious leaders of the time. He's calling them out because uh, they loved to stand around in the marketplaces and be noticed, wearing fancy clothes. They loved pretentious prayers in public. They loved to do all these things. They loved to act religious, look like they were goody two-shoes. But in reality, they were taking advantage of the widows. They were taking advantage of their money. They were taking their money and taking advantage of the things that they have. And Jesus called them right out. He says, those who devour widows' houses for a pretense make long prayers. They shall receive the greater condemnation. Jesus had a heart for those in society that were finding it hard to get along. And widows were right up there at the top of the list. In Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, Jesus uses it a widow as an example of faith, the epitome of faith, of what that looks like. He's watching these people put all their money into the, into the offering box, 
And yet here comes this widow. Now remember, being taken advantage of. She's in that class of people who's being taken advantage of. Church is taking their money and using it and misusing it. But despite all of that, despite of all the abuse and all of the advantages of the church was taking advantage of her, she continued to be faithful to the work of the Lord and continued to give. Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of their poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus is using this widow as an example. She continued to give service to the Lord regardless of her station in life. In the days of the early church, the church continued to show, favor, to show help to the widows because they were being neglected. And in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, we read that the church commissioned seven men to do nothing but to make sure that the widows were cared for. So that's why James is focusing on the widows and the orphans because they needed to be focused on. The Bible, James, the instruction that James gives us this morning, gives us clear direction on valuing widows today. James writes, he writes, visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. Visit, uh, visit. what does that mean? Well, it may not necessarily mean physically going and visiting them, while that is certainly part of it, but it also means to look after them, call them, check in with them. See how they're doing. Don't forget them. In their afflictions. What are those? It's more than just the physical things that they may uh, suffer. Physical ailments. Afflictions are all those things that they experience in their life on account of the fact that they are now a widow. And what does that look like for them in their daily life? I sat down these last couple of weeks with some of Shepherd's Gate's widows and some from outside of the church to kind of get an understanding of what they deal with in their daily life. What are some of those afflictions? What are some of those things that come under that heading of afflictions that James is writing about? Well, as you would expect, the top of the list is the deep sorrow and the deep grief that comes from losing their spouse. And at the time that they are suffering or experiencing deep sorrow and grief, at that same time, they are encountering a whole lot of decisions that need to be, make, be made in a short amount of time as they plan for a funeral or memorial service. It can be crushing. They express the overwhelming feelings of loneliness and separation that come. And they think to themselves, how am I possibly going to get it along without them? And then especially in the areas of finances and navigating all the paperwork and all the things that can be overwhelming for them. Change in relationships occur where once they were part of perhaps groups that involved couples, them and their married friends, now that all of that changes for them. Because now they feel like outsiders in those same groups. What to do with the wedding ring? When do I take that off? What do I do with it? They go through all of these emotions 
what to do with the clothes. I mean, there are so many emotions and feelings and memories that are attached to those clothes, the shoes. I know one widow who left her husband's shoes by the front door for over a year. That's where he had left them. And she just couldn't bring herself to move them. She had to do that in her own time. These are things that they go through. For the young widow with children, she now finds that she has all the responsibility for the children. The feeding, the clothing, the housework, the bill paying, the running around to whatever the children are involved in, helping them with their homework, and all of this time while working at the same time. It can be daunting. A point struck home for me personally uh, when our daughter, our son-in-law Todd, passed away. And, you know, for anybody who's lost a loved one, you know that that whole first year is a year of firsts, right? And Todd was called home in late October, and it was just a short four weeks later that that first holiday came along, Thanksgiving. And so as we gathered as a family at my sister-in-law's house, we had a good day. We had Thanksgiving dinner, and um, we celebrated Thanksgiving and so forth. But then it came time to go home. And I watched my daughter as she packed up the car, got the kids in the car, and, how, and I'm like, how can she do any of this alone? We walked her out to the car, and as I closed the door to the van, and she drove away down the street, I was just overwhelmed. Just overwhelmed. The thought that she had to go through all of that now alone. Afflictions. These are the things that James is referring to. Dealing with household repairs, changing the car oil, taking out the trash. I had one, I had one of the widows tell me, she said, yeah, I have a whole a list of all these new men in my life. I'm like, you want to tell me about that? <laughs> it's a list of people who are available to do the things around the house. Seems sometimes that they're feeling like they're penalized for being alone. I had one express to me how she went out to make reservations for a vacation. And on the computer there, every time she went to make a reservation, for some reason the computer thought that it was for two. And there were no vacancies. Couldn't find one. Or, or she plugged in one. But then when she plugged in two, there was all these vacancies came open. She says, you know, it was like everything is for two. It feels like that this is a couple's world. And that they have to live that in that world. It's all of these things that come under that heading of afflictions. And I'm sure there's many more. I'm sure there are more. But caring for them in these afflictions is part of our life in Christ. Now, how do we do that? How do we go about doing that? We do that by valuing them first in the family. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8. He gives Timothy some instructions on how to value them in the family. In verse 4, he says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. In verses 5, 6, and 7, he gives some instruction to the widows. But then in verse 8, he says, 
But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So first we make sure that they are valued by family. The faith of one's children and grandchildren should find its expression in helping mom walk through those days. Making sure that she has all that she needs, that she's taken care of materially, financially, that we pray for them, that she has food, shelter, clothing. If she cannot do for herself, that she's taken care of. Walk with them through their grief. Go over and help out, sort out the clothes when they are ready. Offer support. It's the honor part of honoring our father and our mother. Then there's sometimes end-of-life decisions. Sometimes we walk with mom when it looks like God is getting ready to take dad home. And what does that look like? And all those decisions that we make, what's right, what's wrong? Is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? We've walked through those things in our family with my dad, with my brother, with my son-in-law, with my sister-in-law. Every one of them. There were end-of-life decisions to be made. What is right? What is wrong? What is God-pleasing? What is it? This morning, I just want to share with you something that comes out of a book called Christian Care at Lifesand. It was written by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Theology and Commission and Church Relations. And I think it makes a lot of sense, and it's something I want you to understand and to read. When God-given powers of the body to sustain its own life can no longer function, and the doctors in their professional judgment conclude that there is no real hope for recovery, even with life support instruments, a Christian may in good conscience let nature take its course. Or, to put it another way, let God be God. That we can make those decisions in God-pleasing ways, and we can make them with a good conscience. And then helping mom walk through those decisions, being there. So first we want to make sure that we value them in the family. But then we also have a responsibility to value them in the church. As a body of believers, we are called to value widows and to see that they are cared for. And how do we do that? Well, first, we do like families do. We pray for them, ensure that their spiritual needs are met, that they find fellowship and remembrance in the body. And you can do simple things. When you see them out in the fellowship hall, just could say good morning. How are you doing? Call them on the phone when, you rem- when they come to mind. Send them a, a random text uh, on their phone. Just say, hey, we're praying for you. We love you. Send them a card. The one-year mark. There's little things that you can do to be of support. My daughter, a couple days after Todd's funeral, she came out of church. She came out of the school, dropped the kids off from school, came out of school. There were a group of women waiting for her. And they prayed with her. She got to her car and somebody had lovingly written on a lipstick on her side window, we walk by faith, not by sight. Finding all of that support in Christian community is letting them know that they are valued in the church. Here at Shepherd's Gate, there are a number of ways that we do that as a body of believers. And one of them is in the fact that we have a widow's support group here at Shepherd's Gate that gets together very often. I'd like to turn your attention to the screens. The group is just a bunch of ladies that just get together. It's not anything where you uh, reveal all your feelings and stuff like that. It's more a lighthearted, fun events is the way that it is. We talk about our kids, you know, or the movie playing, or 
Making sure they're valued in the church and in the worship uh, outline that you received when you came in this morning. There's a whole list of things there, along with email addresses that you can use to connect for more information and even uh, at the Connection Center, valued by the church. We have grief support groups that meet here on Thursdays through Grief Share. Our pastoral care team, our pastoral care team making visits to uh, those who are in need. Um, one story that I have been given the freedom to tell you this morning is uh, Tom and Michaeline Shippert. And I know right now they're uh, watching us uh, as we live stream. Tom, Michaeline, hi, how you doing? God bless you. We know you're there. We're praying for you. But Tom has uh, ALS. Many of you know who Tom is. And God is uh, it's at that point uh, where God is uh, going to be calling Tom home. And um, through the pastoral care team, they have been receiving support. Uh, in their spiritual care and making those decisions that they need to make. L.V. Urban has been visiting them uh, every week. Um, I had the opportunity to go and to visit with them this past week. I think I was more blessed by the visit than they were uh, because Tom, uh, his faith is just like so strong. I just pray that um, if I ever find myself in that situation, that my faith will remain as strong as his. So I asked him, so tell me about it. And he said, well, every morning I wake up I begin in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank God for every day that I'm alive. And when the time comes, as a family, we have already decided that we are not going to do anything heroic. He has signed a DNR. And he knows and understands, as well as Michaeline and the whole family, that he is going to be going home. He knows exactly where he is headed. Exactly where he's headed. And the pastoral care team has been there in your name. In the name of the body of the church of Shepherd's Gate, you support that work, giving that kind of care. And that's how you, through your offerings and your prayers and your support, that you show that you care, that they are valued. In our house churches, in our seniors group. Last night we had our Yahtzee uh, night. I, I know. How many of you know what Yahtzee is? Yeah. All right, good, great. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun, and there were a lot of door prizes that were given away, a lot of things. For those of you who played Yahtzee, you know how hard it is to get a Yahtzee, right? Well, Mr. Kent got five of them. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I even changed the dice on him. <laughs> and he still got more. I'm like, oh. So it was only right, we drew names out of the hat for the door prize. It was only right that he was one of the winners. <laughs> I mean, when you get five Yaxis, it should have been a no-brainer. But that's not the story that came out of last night. That's not the most important story. The most important story that came out of last night was the fellowship and the connecting that went on around the tables. Amen. Because what came out of last night, at least the, the little bit that I do know, I am aware of, was that there was two there who've just recently lost their husbands. And we were able to make that connection with them give them information and get them connected to the widows group. It's through the church, again. It's through you acting through your offerings, your prayers, and your support that these things are able to take place and that we show that they are valued by the church. We value everyone. We value everyone. As we live our lives in service, there's one more thing that James reminds us of. And that is to keep ourselves unstained from the world. He says in verse 26, 27, religion is this, undefiled before God the Father is to visit the orphans and the widows and their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. The world encourages values and behaviors that are opposed to God in living as one of his children. They want us to take those values that destroy relationships with Jesus. Watch out for them. Watch out for them. Because you and I have been empowered to live as his kids. And as we do that, we can go out and we can live and devalue everyone in their daily life and let them know that they are loved by Jesus. In a moment, we're going to take, uh, receive Holy Communion. So what I want to do now is I'd like to enter into a time of prayer. And during that prayer, I will remain silent for just a little bit give you the opportunity to confess your sins to your Creator. So if you join with me in prayer, Lord Heavenly Father, we do indeed come to you this morning. Come to you and confessing to you that while you have called us to go out and to live in the world and to value everyone, we confess to you that the people that we have found most often to value the most and the best is ourselves that we come first. We do pray and ask, Lord, that you would indeed grant us forgiveness for that. And then for all of our actions and all of our thoughts and desires that are contrary to how you would want us to live our life, we confess those to you now also. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, Father, for the love that you have shown us through your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.